You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. So I'm glad you clarified that joke, Pastor Ben, because I don't know if it's a promised land to, to all that would consider Holland home. It is home, but maybe not the promised land. Can I get an amen if you know what I mean? All right. Okay, cool. That's all right. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dope city. There are just some things about Holland that take a, a, a bit of an acquired taste. I'll just say it that way. All right. So I'm, I commend you all for, for coming out and, and journeying through the life of Joseph. Joseph's life, not unlike any other biblical character, offers so many things that pertain to what it means to walk with God, what it means to be a conduit for God's goodness and his grace, such that we become contemporary expressions of who God is. God, the notion of God is rather abstract until he makes himself sensibly known through the life of another. And so Joseph uh, is a character that has a lot to suggest about what it means to walk with God. And in the passage that we just uh, read, uh, you could almost just kind of drop the mic, golf for benediction, and walk away because there's so much in those, in that, in that, in that, in those passages of scripture that really just kind of lends itself to just truisms of life. You know, uh, that said, I'm going to offer just a couple of things that I think are really important uh, about from this scene and more specifically from the life of Joseph. All right. So let me just start by saying, given the plot and relative scandal of this scene in Scripture, uh, it is clear that the author wants us to know that Joseph's distinction is that he was a man for whom God's commended presence was evident and obvious. Six different uh, references are made one way or another to make the point abundantly clear that the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence, far more than Joseph's looks and other associated attributes, was his distinction and significance. As an aside, let me just say this. If there is anything about Joseph that is to be envied and causes us to feel a little bit jealous, it would be that, that God was with him. Seemingly, however, by no concerted or scandalous effort on Joseph's part, he finds himself in a rather precarious, albeit favored, predicament. Joseph, according to our reading, was granted charge of everything that Potiphar had or had authority over. Though he had freedom and agency to do all that he wanted, he acknowledges that freedom is not a license to be indulgent and cross necessary boundaries. As such, Joseph resists romantic overtures of Potiphar's wife. Noble as that stance was, it proved to be the catalyst for his eventual demise and imprisonment. What therefore can we deduce from this serious and salacious set of circumstances about what it means to live a life of integrity? Well, there's quite a bit, but as I said earlier, I'm only going to offer a couple of things, primarily because of, uh, of time. The first is this. Friends, integrity matters, but it does not grant us immunity from controversy. Some will parse Joseph's actions out and debate up and down about things that he could have done to avoid the scandal. However, I'm not here for that. Joseph was innocent. Joseph honored his commitment, and it cost him. From our youth, we've been taught that doing the right thing will set you up for great things in life, that telling the truth, honoring your commitment, being punctual, etc., guarantees social favor or will likely lead to vocational success until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, do we abandon our commitment to living a life of integrity? 
I would suggest that we don't. We reevaluate what it means to live a life of integrity. There are moments in life when you realize integrity is a virtue, not a commodity. Such was the case for Joseph. You can't purchase a box or a pound of integrity from Jewels or Milanios, which Milanios is a dope store. They didn't have it when I was growing up in the city, but I'm grateful they do now. Integrity eventuates or it manifests often in serendipitous, unplanned, and unexpected moments in life because it's been cultivated. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But for now, friends, know this. Integrity is not just a matter of execution or doing right. Doing right is vastly, wildly overrated. The goal for the believer is to ensure that our ways are righteous, that we evidence a life that is distinguished by God's presence. If our notion of integrity is not inclusive of righteousness and holiness, then we just faking the funk. We just playing around. We are just mostly committed to being pious, which has a lot to do with performance. Let me offer a couple of descriptors, and there are just a few because there are many, of what it means to walk in integrity. Integrity most clearly shows up in how you treat people. Can I get an amen? amen. Folk that respect and demonstrate moral love towards others are people of integrity. Folk that do not allow social taboos or pass down biases to determine how they act towards others are people of integrity. Folk that regard others, no matter the depth and manifestation of their brokenness, as image bearers and beloved of God are folk that live a life of integrity. I could go on, but folk like that are likely to be honest. They do not lie and shade the truth. Their behavior is likely to be much more consistent and far less hypocritical. Why? Because the moral and spiritual disciplines it takes to love and relate to others well on some level guarantee growth in the more obvious areas. The opposite is not true. You could be punctual. You could be nice. You can be committed to circumstantially telling the truth, but that does not guarantee a capacity to actually love. And this is part of what Paul was alluding to in 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about what love is and what it isn't. And he juxtaposes love between some of these more obvious characters and more obvious abilities. And he says, you can preach and teach and wow others with your mysteries and your ability to make less abstract things that are deep and profound and mysterious. But if you do not love, you just occupy time and you're just a distraction. Why is this important in this episode with Joseph? Because Joseph's commitment to integrity was not just a matter of avoiding an, 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 an occasion for evil, quote, quote unquote. For Joseph, it was his awareness that the woman did not belong to him. That meant something to Joseph. As such, he did not consent to that which would have been considered consensual. He respected her for who and whose she was. Again, friends, integrity is not just a matter of executing proper and preferred behaviors. Integrity shows up in how we treat people. Can I get an amen? One other thing I want to say about integrity 
Integrity is not a given, it is cultivated. Formation in the Christian tradition necessarily involves a degree of asceticism, or loosely put, self-denial. Again, Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he says, But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. Solomon underscores, well, he says something similar in chapter 25 of Proverbs. He says, A man or a woman without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In both instances, they are getting at this idea that we've got to be disciplined. That what we say no to is as important as what we say yes to. That living a life of consistency, integrity, living your life with an effort to somehow give evidence to God's holy expectations requires a training of sorts. And this is contrary to the trend in our society which is increasingly defining itself by consumerism, the quest to get more and to do more. Living a life of integrity necessitates an awareness that though all things are permissible, not all things are expedient. That said, I want to suggest to you two ways that you can begin to cultivate a life of integrity that are proximate to you. They aren't far removed. The first is this acknowledging healthy boundaries. Again, it said of Joseph that he was granted license over everything except, and we only know what Potiphar forbade him of because Joseph lets us know in his interaction with Potiphar's wife. He's given me charge over everything except for you. It was a boundary. The challenge is many of us consider boundaries, no matter what they are, as arbitrary things in our life. But if you can acknowledge the boundaries that are placed on you, either self-imposed or external from you, it is one way to develop a life of moral strength, which leads to a life of living in integrity. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, who had braids in his hair and at his dad's church, his dad, the the denomination was a a church, it was a a holiness church uh, in the inner city of Chicago. And uh, they would not let my friend preach until he cut his, his braids off. And he is not much older than you, not much younger than I am. Um, and so for him, uh, as a member of contemporary society, he was like, man, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. I should be able to rock my braids. It ain't got nothing to do. It doesn't impede the dynamic of the gospel. And I remember saying to my friend, my close friend, what was once said to me, I said, Doc, Man, constraints won't kill you. They'll build character. What does it cost you if, in fact, you feel that you are called to eventually lead this church? Sometimes you got to say yes to something that may rub you the wrong way, but it ain't necessarily arbitrary. So two things I want to say about that. The first is my friend is now pastoring that church. That's where you clap. (laughs) and he don't have braids but it ain't because he cut them off he's bald like me now (laughs) 
How you figure out what you need to consent to is born of a conversation between you and those that are in your life. I'm not suggesting that you just abjectly surrender to external expectations. Sometimes it's not clear, is it or is it not for you? But that's discerned through a conversation. My concern is that too many of us, especially young people, we summarily dismiss any constraint as anti-God, suppressive. Denying my authenticity. You and I will never be our full self if we just say yes to everything. And sometimes the things that we cannot do are determined by others. And yes, sometimes it is to control and micromanage. I encourage you, talk that through. Pray through that with someone you know who is for you. And sometimes if they really are for you, they will say, young man, young woman, older man, older woman, I think you need to yield to that. And watch what it produces in your life. Amen? The second thing I would say as it relates to cultivating a life of integrity is this, and it's really, really simple. Fall madly in love with Jesus. Such that it becomes obvious that you love him and he clearly loves you. That it could be said of you that God is with him or her. Ultimately expressed in your accountability to him above all things. So that obviously assumes that you and I are on a path of getting to know him. Rejecting this notion that by virtue of how we were raised and where we go to church, that we actually know him. Opening ourselves up to being curious about what it actually means to fall deeper in love, deeper in in our affections towards Jesus. Not treating his word with contempt or familiarity. Not assuming because we go to Trinity Christian College that that guarantees that we will fall deeper in love with him. This is an environment that is conducive to help you in that regard. Can I get an amen? Because there are environments that are not. But we don't operate from this assumption that because we give mental assent to a body of information or we have affinity for the scriptures that somehow that guarantees that we have fully and are increasingly entrusting our life into his care. One of those is not like the other. And an honest reading of scripture will reveal that those who think they know, Jesus sometimes surprises with this revelation that you really don't know. And so may each of us be curious about the way in which we can fall deeper in love with Jesus, such that Jesus' mood, his word, his affection actually has sway over our life. In the end, friends, a commitment to integrity costs Joseph and it will cost you. But be assured of this promise. That for Joseph, though he lost his coat, he maintained his character. And though he lost his position and high association with Potiphar, he gained favor with God. And may that reality be invitation for how we ought to live as well. Amen. 
thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel. Thank you.